When did date night become just another night in front of the TV? When did date night become answering Jeopardy questions but not answering each other's questions? When did date night just stop happening? Whether you've been married for 60 years or have just started your relationship, connecting can be difficult. But don't worry, you are not alone in this, even if people may not talk about it openly. Let us teach you techniques that can bring you and your partner closer together. Our date night series is designed to help partners understand each other's communication behaviors, teach couples to connect meaningfully, learn to listen, connect, and build appreciation within the relationship. We know that schedules can be hard to coordinate, so we are offering this series at two different times. Wednesdays, beginning March 3rd, continuing March 10th, 17th, and 24th at 8 p.m., and Saturdays, beginning March 6th, 13th, 20th, and 27th at 10 a.m. If you're looking for a special gift to give this Valentine's Day, why not give the gift of deeper connection and understanding? The price per couple for the whole series is $50, and this will cover the cost of the disc report for two people. We only have space for 25 couples, so claim your spot early. For more information, visit OurCommunityListens.org. Welcome to the Our Community Listens podcast, where we strengthen relationships and build stronger communities through listening, leadership, care, and service to create truly human connection. Learn and partner with us as we imagine a society in which people care about each other first. Explore more at OurCommunityListens.org. Welcome to the Our Community Lessons Podcast. My name is Adam Salgett. With me today is Katie Trotter, Strategic Engagement Leader for Michigan. Our topic today is marriage communication. We're going to talk specifically about military deployment with a couple other guests that are coming in. But first, I'd like to welcome Katie to the podcast. How are you doing, Katie? How's your day going? Going great, Adam. Thanks for having me today. I'm looking forward to this opportunity to get to know our following guests here, Jen Rudolph and Jose Tovar. Both of them have previously served active duty for our military. Jen Rudolph is currently serving in Michigan's Air National Guard. Jose Tovar is a former Air Force veteran and currently working in real estate. Jen and Jose, thank you so much for deciding to join our podcast and tell us a little bit about your experience with military deployment and marriage communication. Hi, yeah. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. We're very excited. Awesome. So Katie, I know these two have been through a couple different courses that help them specifically learn about the way to communicate as a married couple. Tell me what those were. Tell me what those classes were, what what those uh, what those programs were all about. So that way we can kind of set our listeners up and put them on the same page. Yeah, absolutely. So I will say um, for those listeners who may not be quite as familiar with our format, we do typically offer the three-day community class, which Jen had an opportunity to participate in with her work. But on top of that, uh, we did offer that class in a couples format. So anyone who was in a committed relationship could choose to participate over a weekend, the same format of the three-day class, but each person would be in a separate classroom coming together at lunchtime and then in the evenings to practice some of those skills specific to the course. 
On top of having gone through that experience, uh, Jen and Jose, during their deployment, had an opportunity to participate in a deployment program that we offered, which essentially equipped them with skills each month that they could have an opportunity to continue practicing even though they were experiencing that distance. Katie, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit here. (laughs) Tell me, and we're going to hear directly from Jose and Jen and their experience, but those who have been through that marriage class, what, what were some of the comments that people made and why it made a difference to them? I would say one of the comments that continues to stick out in my mind is there was a couple who'd been married for over 30 years. And after going through the reflective listening portion and doing that homework assignment, they came back in and the wife said, I learned more about my husband in one evening that I had learned about him in our entire time of knowing each other. And I've realized I've never really listened to him before. And that was just a huge moment for me to realize how, how long we can know a person, but at a much less deep level, I guess, than what we could if we were practicing the skills. It is pretty impactful. And I can understand how that totally stands out. Now, Jen and Jose, judging just from your age, I'm guessing you don't have that 30 years yet. <laughs> no, not yet. Not yet. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, one of our first questions, you know, Katie and I were talking before uh, the podcast here was having you guys touch a little bit on what your communication was like prior to going through any communication or any our community lesson skills training. Sounds like Jen, you did yours individually first, but if one of the two of you want to take the lead on what your communication styles was like for the two of you before going through any type of communication skills training. I'll, uh, I guess, kind of provide the listeners a little bit of overview on, on how we met and how that evolved in, into the communication styles we have today. So as you mentioned, Jen and I were active duty uh, uh, service members for about eight years uh, prior to relocating up here uh, to Michigan. And during that time, when we got married, we were actually stationed at two different bases and one being Oklahoma, one being in Georgia. And so that kind of created a unique challenge in the beginning of how do we communicate essentially having a long distance marriage for about four years before we could relocate together. And so uh, through a lot of trials and tribulations and eventually being relocated back to the same base, we kind of realized that I think um, we had a pretty uh, young sense of communication within the marriage. And um, I speaking for myself, you know, I found myself kind of realizing that, you know, the communication styles that I wanted to use with Jen weren't as effective as they needed to be. I, we were, I think, looking for the right terminology and I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this in the podcast, but that common vernacular to really help us solve problems and move forward. And so, you know, that's what, you know, as we moved back to Michigan, I think that's kind of set ourselves up for the the next part, which is the OCL and how that came into our lives. Yeah. I think initially uh, we were just sort of making it up as we went. I had never really had any formal communication, certainly not in any kind of relationship sense. Um, And for us to kind of uh, crash into each other a couple of times, um, it meant that, you know, every time we got together on a weekend, we had very little time. And that meant that sometimes we had kind of arguments or disagreements. Sometimes it happened at 10 o'clock at night. We call that the Jen and Jose special. Um, usually when you have work the next day, it's really good. But I think that we just, it was very rudimentary and it didn't have any structure. It didn't have any method to it. We learned a lot along the way, but it was definitely by trial and error. And we still, even after we had gotten some some processes sort of figured out, we still didn't have any way to talk about it or quantify or characterize the things we were saying. We just were kind of in, intuiting a lot of our decisions and the way we spoke. It, it wasn't as intentional as I think it's become now. 
Yes. And I'm not an expert in this space, but I can imagine that's common for a lot of people and whether it's a personal, um, a relationship like a marriage or a relationship with just friendship where you only have that little bit of time to see each other. And you just, when you get upset and you don't know why they're doing something a certain way, but you don't have the words to explain it yet. Right. So mm-hmm. as you start to get to know yourself and start to get to know them, and then when the communication skills comes into play, um, that can help. Uh, Katie, in your experience, have you noticed or heard people tell the same kind of story where they know they love the person, but they just can't connect with what it is that they're, they're struggling with at that time. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would love to kick it back over to Jen and Jose, just to hear a little bit about their disc tendencies and how they saw that play out. Because what we often were hearing in the class was, hey, I'm trying to connect with my partner because I really want to work on this project together. And someone else would be saying, I really was trying to connect with my partner by getting them to sit and drink coffee and talk for a while. And so I know that that's a common thing, right? We're trying to connect. It's the person that we pick to spend our life with, um, but we don't always do it in the same common language. So Jose and Jen, if you don't mind talking a little bit about just kind of what you learned through the course related to your different tendencies. I'm a ISD tendency. And I think that is a really, you know, just how do you spend a Saturday was a really good exercise because I think that when you only have a short amount of time and we probably saw each other for a weekend or long weekend every six weeks when we were living in different states, when you have that long weekend, you kind of tend to do a lot of stuff and it's not necessarily very relaxing. And we were always taking leave on the weekends, time off on the weekends instead of taking it during the week. So we would work a week. We would spend a weekend traveling to one location or the other, do things, especially if we were going to a new place, a new city that we hadn't visited, or if we were going to each other's house, we were visiting friends and catching up, which didn't leave a whole lot of time or space to do what Jose likes to call the recharge. And I think that we didn't even know that we were not even considering the, the, what each person needs in those weekend moments where we could have been a lot, probably more effective with our time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guess for the audience, um, I'm a S and a C. Uh, and so how that kind of played into the communication structure pretty early was that I was always kind of, I was always fixated on finding that harmonious balance. Um, and initially when you're 20, for me, that that balance lied between work and home life, right? Well, Jen was uh, a couple states away from me. So I was trying to balance the professional life with seeing Jen when I could. And so, you know, I thought I could have it all. And realistically, I think that that was setting, setting me up and setting us up for challenges down the road by, you know, not planning uh, communication or using better communication when we were together. Absolutely. I, I can imagine you almost felt like you were on all the time. Meaning you knew you wanted to spend time with this person, but you also knew you wanted to sleep until 10 a.m. or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, it's funny you say that because we felt like we had finally gotten smart when we realized we could both drive eight hours to the same place and not take time off. But now you're driving eight hours yeah. on a Friday or, you know, something like that or on a, on a Saturday morning. And that is not really very restful either because <laughs> then you also have to drive eight hours back, which leaves you a maximum of like a day in between. I think that if we were in that space now, we would, our vacations look very different now yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for lots of reasons. So Jen and Jose, I would be curious if you could talk a little bit about how you've seen your communication style as a couple change 
since you went through the course. So, <laughs> you know, it's interesting because Jen and I got exposed to OCL in very different times. Um, Jen took the first course, I would say about what, six months or a year ahead of me, correct? Yeah. Um, and I began to recognize that Jen was using a language that um, was trying to put words more effective um, to describe more effectively how she was feeling and what she was trying to communicate. And, and I recognized that that was something that you know, I wanted to try and and bridge that gap and, and speak that same language. And so, um, you know, fortunately, uh, Jen and I were able to attend the marriage course and that really put a spotlight on, um, on our communication practices. Because in the beginning, I say our communication structure was very young, but because in a lot of ways it was, I can't describe how I'm feeling, but I need you to feel what I'm feeling. And so a lot of times that can manifest itself, right. And, and unnecessary, um, you know, actions where you're trying to make them feel like you do, if that's good, that's good. If it's bad, it's bad. You know, it, it was pretty, pretty young and, and simple in structure. And then as we went through the OCL course, we found the opportunities and the, the language to then describe more accurately how we're feeling. And now, instead of going to that emotional place first, we try to go to the language first. Um, and I think that's made all the difference in the world. I think it's really forced us to slow down in a good way. You know, when we were in different states, we were very reactionary because that's all we kind of had the time and emotional energy to do. You're excited to see the other person. So you're just, you, you don't have a lot of time for logic at that point. And then when we've moved back together, both when we moved back together the first time when we moved uh, to Michigan, and then when I came back from this deployment, I think every time I see us deliberately slow down to kind of take stock of where we're at and go into it knowing that we're going to be emotional. We're going to have a lot of feelings that we are looking for the other person to validate, accepting that those feelings are going to be there and still trying to take that extra second to slow down in what we say and how we're saying and what we're trying to accomplish, I think is really what I've noticed too. I feel, I feel like we're slower and more deliberate which feels right, you know? Yeah, I think sometimes that intentionality piece can be so critical and can really repent or prevent a lot of repair work down the road. So I think that's a great point. Um, Jose and Jen, I have a question kind of separately for each of you, and I don't know if, um, if you'll be able to pick just one, but I'm curious what you would say the top OCL skill that you learned as it relates to being the most helpful in your marriage. I already I know what mine is. Go ahead. Okay, so I know what mine is. Mine is definitely um, the reflective listening. And this was the part I really struggled with when I took the, the regular format of the OCL course. Um, and in particular, the reflective responses, because I felt like I only had four or so to pick from. And I just kept saying the same ones over again. And I never felt like it didn't feel genuine because I felt like it was this code that someone who knew what I was doing would be able to tell which is good because then the person I'm talking to, Jose, once he went through the course, absolutely knew what I was trying to do. And the great thing is that I wanted him to know, and he wanted to be able to identify when I was deliberately trying to listen to him. Um, so I think at first it was the hardest skill and it has the active listening in general has become the most important one because it has allowed me to reframe uh, how I connect with people instead of um, kind of swinging and missing? I think for me, the uh, most important OCL skill that I've picked up is definitely, is for me crafting the, the confrontation message. Um, and I think that that 
has really made a difference in um, how we, you know, resolve conflict in our marriage. Um, as I kind of alluded to in earlier, I, as when we were younger, I definitely used that emotion aspect to help convey my feeling or my uh, perception of the situation. So if I was feeling bad, I needed Jen to feel bad with me to understand the gravity of the moment, but it wasn't effective. We weren't getting anywhere. But when we, when we've learned to create confrontation messages, it, it disarmed all of that. Now it was, here's how I feel. And it immediately brought it back to me. It wasn't an attack on her. It wasn't meant to be an attack on her. It was just meant to open the conversation to say, I am feeling this way. Here's what I think the specific behavior is that that's causing it or could be a root cause. And then, you know, it could lead to, to further discussion. So again, for me, the confrontation message, because it really changed how we approached conflict. From the sound of it, you guys have definitely spent time apart early on in your relationship. You know, you shared about traveling to see each other on the weekends and living in different states. Um, you, you came together, you've been, you've lived together for, for how long have you kind of been living together in the same state now? Are you living together in general, I should say? I would say eight years altogether with a small six month break uh, when we moved, when we got out of active duty and moved to Michigan, um, but eight years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And four years apart before that. So yeah. Four years apart before yeah. that. So, but then recently, Jen, you did go on a six month plus deployment. So what I'm interested to hear about and, and just kind of open-ended, how did your marriage change when you went on deployment? How did the communication skills come into play? So um, deployments are disruptive in a normal time. Uh, and then obviously given what we've encountered the past year, right? There's a lot of external pressures that were um, in addition to the normal um, struggles and, and kind of tribulations of a deployment. But what we found is that um, prior to the deployment, we had made some intentional decisions to work and prepare for the deployment by working on our marriage and communication. So we had begun to socialize a lot of the topics. So here's things that we're probably going to encounter. Here's some sources of friction that could be on the horizon. Um, and here's kind of how we're going to hopefully tackle them whenever we get into the deployment. Now, when you, when Jen left, uh, you know, just speaking from the you know spouse that was back home, um, for me, it became survival uh, in a lot of ways. It was taking care of the house, taking care of, of in this case, we have a you know wonderful 10 year old Basset hound. And so keeping, keeping Myrtle alive and well, and uh, you know, making sure that that life goes on back here. So that way, that way, when Jen comes home, you know, things are familiar and she can kind of get back into the rhythm. So for me, survival meant there was a, an added emphasis on making sure that our communication was solid over the course of the deployment. And so um, just to reference a few of the skills that you know, OCL in particular, I, I found really helpful, right, was reflective listening. Uh, you know, Jen, as, as hard as my life was, I knew Jen was deployed overseas into a, uh, you know, quite literally ongoing overseas operations, right? This is, um, you know, a very stressful environment where she's at. I won't, obviously won't speak to, you know, speak for her on that part, but I, I can imagine the amount of stress that she had. And so days where I knew she needed me to listen, I made an effort to listen. And likewise, when I thought the world was ending because the dryer broke again, <laughs> right? I, I needed her to listen to me and to and to hear me out when when I was at my my wits end over problems at the house. Um, you know, so certainly reflective listening was important. And then confrontation message, right? Some days there were just times where I had to say, I'm sad, I'm frustrated here's the source. And maybe it wasn't necessarily directed at Jen, but it was something that she was a part of or had a piece in. And that kind of helped me um, work through a lot of the issues that, you know, would pop up uh, over the course of the deployment. Jen, can you touch on it a little bit from your perspective? Yeah, we definitely hear that little Bassett hound back there. She's just, she's got fear of missing out, you know, (laughs) very high eye tendencies. Um, I think from, from my perspective, what I saw 
I saw our intentionality come through on this deployment, especially different than others was like Jose mentioned that I, I, I have a need and right now you're the, you're my person and you're my person who can help me with that. And, and it's not that I need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. And I think I found that that was the most common, that was probably the most common thing we tried to do for each other. In a lot of ways, it's the only thing you can do for each other sometimes. And I found that that flexing towards um, what Jose needed when the dryer broke and to not uh, get judgy on how he was going about fixing it or when he would suggest <laughs> that maybe it's time to get a new one um, and to not try to manage the household while I'm thousands of miles away um, and trust him to do those things uh, at home with the tools that he has. Um, I think that, that that flexing to listen to the other person, um, I think we did that more in this deployment than we've done in previous ones. And with kind of the understanding that that was going to be something that we were just going to have to give to each other. And even on the worst of days, if my day was bad, but Jose was going through a tough day, then it meant we were going to talk on the phone until he felt like he had kind of come to terms with what had happened or what was going on, on or what the attempted fix was and vice versa that, you know, when I would send him a stream of text messages that everything sucked and no, I don't want to talk on the phone, but I'm not, but I will, but not right now, but just listen to all my text message and respond with lots of hearts. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that that's, that we were doing that flex a little bit more graciously, I think, than we'd maybe done in the past. I wanted to add, Adam, I love that point, Jen, that you brought up about kind of just extending that grace. We talked quite a bit in class about not only the better understanding of your partner, so you have a choice to kind of flex and meet them where they're at, but sometimes when you don't have the energy and you and your partner are both feeling overextended, sometimes it's more about just recognizing and acknowledging that you need to extend that grace and space because nobody has the capacity, especially in a situation like deployment, to really be putting in that much energy and effort sometimes. I think we saw that in the months leading up to the deployment. We, we started to notice how everybody in our span of care from family to friends to even our closest circle of friends and our, our coworkers that we were starting to see like the amount of capacity that everyone had to flex or to give others grace and space was shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And I think something that helped us was being able to see that sort of happen in our, in our network and realize that like, this doesn't leave us out. It means that our ability to care for others and ourselves uh, it is also shrinking too. And it kind of, I think it kind of gave us a, a heads up that that was probably something we were just going to expect more of as the deployment started and continued and went on. I think another point that we considered too, right, is that deployment, like a lot of things, is a temporary challenge. We knew that it had a start point. We knew that it was going to end. And we knew that um, there were going to be days, right, where we were going to be stretched with uh, with what we were willing or could do. And so, again, knowing that we needed to give grace and space made that a little bit easier to handle those hard moments. And you mentioned uh, in our pre-conversation a little bit about there were certain things, and this comes to mind because you just mentioned that you knew that it had an end. And there were certain things that you you know, you knew we're just going to have to wait to, for in-person. So even though all the preparation that you might've done and going into it and, the, and all the flexing that you could do while on deployment, there were certain things from the sound of it that you made mention to that just needed to wait until she came home. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and the key wasn't to ignore those necessarily, but recognize them, recognize that those parts, um, you know, were certainly um, there and had to be dealt with eventually and communicate the frustrations in the moments maybe associated by those events. But don't let that dominate the um, the other conversation or the other items that you had to, you know, when we encountered topics that we knew either weren't going to get resolved until we got home or challenges, then we recognize them. We, we you know, briefly um, kind of worked through anything that we needed to address in the moment, but we moved on and, and we didn't let it, we tried not to let it impact us, um, you know, day in and day out, if you will. 
I think that's really great advice and whether or not it has to do with deployment or just like you're in moments with your, your significant other, and it might be with kids around or other hectic things happening in that moment and knowing that I'm not ignoring what you might need or what needs to be talked about here. But right now in this moment, we can't, we can't fix it. And there isn't anything that we can do to really like uh, talk about it. So we have to, it, it, you know, some people call it, we, we need to table it and just table that for now. And we'll set it aside. And we know between the two of us that we will come back when we have the energy, time and space to work through it. For you guys that might've meant until she comes home for other people that might have meant just until that evening or even the weekend. My wife and I put things off sometimes with three kids right now. Like we put things off until the weekend and like, it might be Tuesday and we're both just like, Oh, we know that we're not going to worry about that right now. You know, you can't. Yeah. Adam, sorry. I don't, I don't mean to jump in there, but I think you raised a good point of like how disc personality types kind of play into that too. You know, from my S personality perspective, there were topics or issues that come up that I wanted to address, but I needed time to develop the position for. And so I would tell her that, yes, I know this is something I want to talk about. I need time to formulate the opinion better. And Jen, don't mean to speak for you, right? But certainly there were issues as an I, right? That were probably really intense for me to, to bring up or talk about that maybe you you had to build energy for, right? Yeah. And uh, I usually can figure out how I feel pretty fast. So I like to talk about it and like get moving on the topic. So I have recognized how important that time to process is for Jose. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I find myself when we had finally got the chance to talk about some of those things that had to wait until I got back from the deployment. Sometimes it was just good for us to recognize that we can kind of summarize where we're at and set, Hey, let's talk about this later tonight. So we got back to that point where we could, we could bring those topics up again, kind of figure out where we're currently at and still take that pause to the evening or to the weekend that would be more normal for us. Um, I think that it's, it's good because those big discussions, you know, they're, they're hard to do when you're stressed out and uh, in a deployment, both parties are always stressed out. Right. And so there's never a time where you're unstressed. So it's really hard to get yourself out of the box at any point to talk logically and rationally. Um, but the more we have acknowledged that this is where we're at, that we need to table it, whether it's for three more months or until we get home or the weekend, I think it's, it's done a lot to uh, help us make those decisions better. Adam, as you are probably picking up on listening to Jen and Jose, uh, as we were working with the deployed group, there were a lot of different topics that I think in general were helpful sounding, right? So it's great to know about how to reflective listen. It's great to know how to empathize, even when you don't agree with your partner's perspective. Uh, but when you are operating in that space of overextension, one of the pieces that I thought was especially helpful was that we actually had one recording done on how to be an awesome partner, even when you screw up. And it was done with this idea of, we want to show up well for the people that we care about most. But I would venture a guess that all of us in the group at some point or another uh, didn't live up to our own expectations or our own hopes for what that would look like. And so we did spend some time also talking about in those moments, how do you repair in a way that's going to build trust and connection? Because we know that those moments are going to happen. Very strategic planning for that team and our community lessons to, to <laughs> make a plan for when we screw up. Because like you said, as much as we want to try and uh, initiate these skills on a daily basis, it's hard no matter what. And we're going to fall back into maybe a bad, uh, a bad habit or just simply make a mistake. Whether it's a bad habit or not, it might just be a mistake. And it's, uh, you need to know how to uh, deal with that when it comes up, when it comes about. I think that for Jose and I, one of the things we learned the hard way that we didn't have any way to characterize was that idea about not taking 
uh, the thing your partner wants needs to say personally, um, and kind of giving them permission upfront to say that thing. And there have been a couple of times where Jose and I have been in some, you know, very intense, you know, disagreements and, it's gotten to the point where you you get ready to say the thing you want to say, which is usually like the I feel statement. And you stop because you know how much that's going to hurt another person, especially, you know, looking on it from an OCL lens, if you know their tendencies. Um, but what we've tried to do is in those moments say, hey, can I just say what I just can I just say what I want to say, knowing that it's not going to be uh, a forever feeling and it's not because you're a bad person, but I just need to be able to get it out and then talk it out to refine it. And I think that's one of the things we learned the hard way from the OCL perspective, you know, that, that brings in kind of the confrontation message and thinking through that confrontation message, uh, deliberately. So you can have the best, not most least judge, least judgmental statement you can. Um, but sometimes in the moment, it's hard to even do that. So by, by us, taking that time to, to kind of give each other that permission ahead of time of, you know, I want to say the thing, but it's not, it's not intended to hurt your feelings. We've kind of tried to agree to go past the hurt your feelings concept. And so we have kind of this understanding, like I I might say that I'm going to say this thing, it might hurt your feelings, but let's take it from there to somewhere else and not let it be the conversation ender. I think what we're seeing, Adam, is that the more that couples are consistently practicing the empathy and the listening and the extending grace and space and understanding tendencies, that there becomes this level, increased level of trust and connection that people have so that when people do need to engage in some of those difficult conversations or conversations that could trigger their partner, they're finding that it's easier to come back from or to hold space for that. It makes a lot of sense because once you have built some of that relationship, um, trust and you know the other person is not looking to say something with spite in their tongue, but they're just saying it because you maybe don't have the exact words in the moment. You know that it's not coming at you from a with a with villainy. You know that's just they don't know exactly how to express it. So, like you just said, Jen, the ability to I'm going to say it. But let's take it somewhere else because I know what I'm saying isn't necessarily exactly the right way to say it. But let's work on it together and mm-hmm. build a build to the right thing that I'm actually trying to get to. All right, Jen and Jose, as we have had more and more couples choosing to participate in the class, we have found some who come in very excited, some who come in not really wanting to be there, and some who are coming in being pretty sure that we're going to make them do trust falls or stare in silence into their partner's (laughs) eyes for three minutes straight. So Uh knowing that you may have people in all spectrums who are first learning about this opportunity to participate with their partner. Do you have any recommendations, suggestions, things for them to consider? (laughs) Um, You know, I I would say from my perspective that uh, I recognized the importance of the class in to Jen. I under, I knew that this was something that she really wanted us to, to understand. And that set the importance level for me. And so that, that definitely helped us knowing the importance that it it was going to hold in our relationship and certainly for Jen. And so that made me much more attentive, open-minded when I went into the course. And and to be honest, when I first enrolled and first signed up for it, I I didn't know what to expect either. I certainly thought, you know, we probably would have done a trust fall at some point. (laughs) We did not, (laughs) but we were certainly, uh, it, it, it did force me to think a lot about um, you know, how much and why I was communicating what I was willing to in the class. And, uh, you know, before you know it, you kind of, it's, I found the classes as a great environment opportunity to begin to share stuff and to think about the way I communicate in the relationship with Jen. I think one of the, uh, exercises in the course that I 
love the most is the uh, concerns and fears that exercise at the very beginning where everyone in their small group stands up and writes down what their concerns are about the class and what their fears are from the class. And uh, everyone goes around the room, shares. A lot of times those things are very similar. Uh, there are sometimes very unique things, which are really interesting for people to get a chance to talk about. But the, the important part for me is at the very end of the three-day course is taking all of those fears and concerns and reevaluating. Did the class uh, answer any of the concerns that people wanted to get out of it? And did it uh, does anyone still have any of those fears of what the class may or may not fulfill? Uh, so I think the the recommendation I have is if you don't think it's going to work, take the class. If you think you're going to enjoy it, take the class, because either way, you'll get at least a chance to express what you think it can or can't do. And then get a chance to see either through your experience or through your interaction with others in the class, if it can fulfill those needs. And there's really no better training because it doesn't just apply to committed relationships. It doesn't just apply to your work relationships. It's a, it's a foundational experience for every single connection you make with another person. Jose and Jen, in our pre-conversation, you mentioned you've listened to the podcast. So you probably shouldn't be super surprised that I'm going to ask you to give me a couple key takeaways right here at the end. Uh, so I know, Jose, you had something in mind. So why don't you jump in and go ahead? You know, as you were talking about the key takeaway, the first thing that came to my mind is that it is okay to always work on your marriage, right? And and this was one of those steps for me, I think, was to make and place importance upon working in our communication. And, and I'm going to butcher this saying a little bit here, but I think it's appropriate in the sense that successful marriage communication is never owned. It's rented and the rent is due every day. That is, that is pretty cool. I like that. I've not heard <laughs> It was not me, so... <laughs> Jen, is there any any key takeaway or anything you'd like to add to that? I think coming from, especially an eye tendency, I think the thing I valued the most, my key takeaway from the course, uh, from the committed relationship class, from the deployment program is to slow down and listen. And I think that that has gone way further in every capacity for continuing to be a part of this marriage with Jose than any other thing we've ever done or learned. Spectacular. Katie, anything else you want to add to our conversation? Any takeaway or comment you'd like to make? Yeah, I just want to kind of build off of what Jose mentioned. I think one of the things that's been most exciting for me in the space of working with couples is that we've seen really strong, healthy relationships who still go through the class feeling like we're reaching a whole new depth together that we never thought was possible or ever, never even knew existed. But then seeing couples who are just kind of like in that funk or we just do not understand one another and seeing them leaving with kind of this new sense of hope is really incredibly inspiring. So again, just to establish that no matter where you are at in your relationship, or if you're just newly dating or newly married or engaged or whatever that might look like, there's always a space to be able to continue growing in that. So Jose, I love that you added that comment at the end as well. Was it too much? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I loved it. It was so good. Okay. It was okay. so good. It. I loved it. <laughs> I loved this. It. You have to keep it. Every day we can make, we can, we have to pay the rent, right? Every day we got to make yeah. the opportunity or got to make the effort, I should say. Got to mm -hmm. make the effort to, uh, to be the best we can be for those that we love. Mm -hmm. so, uh, thank you guys so much. It's such a pleasure getting to know you on our podcast. Thanks, Adam. Yeah, thanks for having us. And Katie, thank you for uh, leading the way. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Adam. Engage on our website, explore learning opportunities, and connect with others. This podcast is brought to you by the Chapman Foundation for Caring Communities, which focuses on strengthening relationships, creating connection, 
and building community. Listen, lead, connect.